The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, and can be found on page 988 of the Church Bibles. The Triumphal Entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nikki. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming forward. Um, So... Here we are once again at the start of the Easter week looking at the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, the journey that triggers the events that ultimately lead to his arrest, his condemnation and his death. For me, this is the passage I turn to when I feel that God feels distant and I want to remember what his love looks like. And to demonstrate that today, I'd like to consider the two contrasting understandings of what is actually happening as Jesus rides into town. Firstly, the outside perspective. The understanding of the crowd who surround Jesus, who are looking for a revolutionary leader. And second, Jesus' perspective, who knows he is riding in to his persecution and death. But before I do that, I'd like to set the scene. This incident takes place in first century Jerusalem, a city whose people have been subject to enslavement and captivity for 500 years, and who, although they are now back into their land, are currently under Roman rule. This situation is untenable for a people who believe that they are God's chosen people and that this occupied territory has been gifted to them by God. However, Jerusalem is not without hope. The prophets have for several centuries promised a savior, the seed of Abraham and son of David, who will, like Moses before him, set the captives free. The people gathered in Jerusalem on the day that Jesus comes into town know that things are not as God intends them to be, and that if the prophecies are right, 
their long-awaited Messiah King should ride into town imminently. So Jerusalem is brimming with anticipation. So that's the background to the, to the action. And now let me tell you a little bit about the action itself from the perspective of those people who are present. And to facilitate this, I'd like you to imagine that I'm a journalist reporting to you live from first century Jerusalem. Are you ready? Mm. No expense has been spared to help you to be able to imagine. Here are my very intellectual glasses. Here is my press pass that I will be wearing. And obviously, got my head do. So hang on one second. Can't see what I look like. Probably not a bad thing. Right. Are we all there? First century Jerusalem press. Okay. This is Janie Cronin reporting for Breaking News. I'm here in Jerusalem at the hub of all the action. The Passover feast is fast approaching, and as you can imagine, the narrow streets are jam-packed with pilgrims here to celebrate this pivotal festival. And the reason I'm reporting here today is there's a bit of a buzz about town concerning a rabbi from Nazareth called Jesus, who I believe is coming into Jerusalem this very day. For those of you who've been having a silent retreat in a cave for the last two years and haven't actually heard about him, let me explain. There are many eyewitness reports that he has been performing signs and wonders, changing water into wine, multiplying food, walking on water, healing the sick, and now this week, I have from reliable sources been informed that he was, has raised a very well-known local man named Lazarus from the dead. Being a good reporter, I have been to the Pharisees and the rulers of the temple for their reaction. They are saying this man is a sham. When questioned as to how he could perform those signs and wonders if he's merely a man, they insist his power comes from Satan. When challenged regarding, regarding Satan's motivation for healing the sick and raising the dead, they declined to comment and asked me to leave. I have asked several other people what their opinion is regarding his identity, but without exception, they all refused to appear on film. Off record and out of earshot of the authorities though, they're happy to talk. A couple of them told me they think he's a prophet like Elijah or Jeremiah. But most of those I interviewed said that he's more than that. They pointed out he's a descendant of Abraham and of David. And that he's been steadily ticking all the ancient prophetic boxes. Behind closed doors, they are whispering that he is the one, our long-awaited Messiah. Speculation is rife, because he's due to come into town today for Passover. Yes, Passover, the feast commemorating our exodus from slavery. Many are suggesting that this is a deliberate political statement, that he's chosen Passover to make his grand entrance because he's claiming to be the next Moses, come to lead us out of captivity, our Messiah King. 
They contend he's coming into town in order to claim his throne. Is he our savior? Is there going to be a coup tonight? Will he overthrow Herod and Pilate and take back our land and bring back the glory days? Is his entrance going to be the coronation march of our new king? Find out here, live on Breaking News. I will be broadcasting live, covering all the latest action as it happens. Okay, I can now see people are starting to move. Crowds are starting to gather along the dusty road leading from the Mount of Olives into town, the route he's expected to travel. The people are lining the streets and they're jostling for a good position so they'll be able to see him when he passes by. It's a volatile crowd. Some are just here to see the latest crowd in town, the latest show in town. But it's clear that others are here because they actually believe that freedom is coming into town today. People are chanting slogans, and I can see that some of them have brought palm branches with them. That's quite provocative. The Pharisees can't be happy about that. It looks, for all intents and purpose, like the Feast of Ta Tabernacle. And this looks like an act of worship. But who do you think they're worshiping? And Herod's got to be worried too. Everybody started palm waving last time we had an uprising when Simon Maccabees liberated Jerusalem. I can't see this going down well. Whatever their thinking is, these guys are asking for trouble. And here's Jesus coming into view. I don't believe it, can you see? He's riding on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. Oh, hang on a moment. I've just got a report coming in. Oh, the studio are telling me that that's just what Zechariah predicted the Messiah King would do when he came. Have you got the verse? They've got the verse. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. All around me, people are starting to dance and sing. I haven't seen anything like this for years. They're chanting the words from Psalm 118, David's song of God's salvation, and they're repeating it over and over again. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. I've got a bad feeling about this. This is gonna get ugly. They're calling him the son of David, the name reserved for the Messiah. He's practically opposite now. And I have to say, he doesn't look like a man dressed for battle. He doesn't even appear to have a sword. I can't see how he's going to overthrow anybody dressed like that. And surely a stallion would be more appropriate than a donkey in these circumstances. Well, the crowd don't seem to have noticed. They're starting to put their cloaks on the road. <gasps> I hope the authorities don't see this. This is what people do when they want to show support for a pretender to the throne. Oh dear, hang on a moment. One of the Pharisees is approaching Jesus. I knew this wasn't gonna end well, and I'm not that surprised. Oh, they've just told him he needs to tell his disciples to stop. Oh dear, Jesus has just told them that if, even if he asked his disciples to be silent, the stones would cry out. This could get nasty. Discretion is the better part of valor. I'm getting out of here. 
just me again. So, to sum up, the, the crowd are demonstrating that they believe that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah King, and they are expecting him to ride into town, claim his crown, and overthrow both the Roman and the temple governments. And it would appear that the Pharisees have the same concerns. So that's what the people surrounding Jesus were thinking. So now, let, now let's ask ourselves what we think is going on in Jesus's head. The first thing it's worth noticing is that unlike anybody else in history, Jesus knows exactly how his life will unfold because the Old Testament contains over 600 prophecies about him and he is very familiar with all scripture. He already knows all those things written about the first part of his life have proved to be accurate. And now, as he enters the final stage of his life, he does so knowing in detail what to expect. In Luke's gospel, shortly before he sets off for Jerusalem, Jesus tries to explain this to his disciples. He says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and insulted and spat upon. After they have flogged him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will raise again. When he rides into Jerusalem, Jesus knows exactly what lies ahead. And at this point, I'd like to tell you a true story that took place in Afghanistan in spring of 2008, because I think it gives some idea of what it is I'm trying to explain. And this is the story as it was reported at the time. After 30 minutes on task and having identified numerous items that could be used by insurgents to manufacture improvised explosive devices, the team commander gave the order for the team to drop back. Lance Corporal Croucher was at the head of the group. Behind him, approximately five meters away, the team commander and another Marine were in the open and fully exposed, with the fourth team member a short uh, distance behind them. As the team moved silently through the still darkened compound, Lance Corporal Croucher felt a wire go tight against his legs, just below knee height. This was a trip wire connected to a grenade booby trap, positioned to kill or maim intruders in the compound. He heard the fly-off lever eject, and the grenade, now armed, fell onto the ground immediately beside him. Instantly realizing what had occurred, Lance Corporal Croucher made a crucial and incredibly rapid assessment of the situation. With extraordinary clarity of thought and remarkable composure, he shouted, grenade, then tripwire, in an attempt to warn his comrades to find cover before the grenade exploded. 
It was clear to him that given the lack of cover in the immediate vicinity, he and the other team members were in extreme danger. Due to low light levels, he was unable to determine the type of grenade and therefore had no way of knowing how long the device's fuse would take to function. With his comrades totally exposed and time running out, Lance Corporal Croucher made the decision not to seek cover or protection for himself, but to attempt to shield the other members of his team from the impending explosion. In an act of great courage and demonstrating a complete disregard for his own safety, he threw himself on top of the grenade. The reason I tell you this story is I believe that this extraordinary act of courage goes some way towards reflecting the seemingly innocent scene that we are witnessing in this passage. Like the corporal, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing when he walks into Jerusalem. He knows where his end will come about, when it will come about, and how it will come about. Walking into Jerusalem is a premeditated and intentional act of courage and an extraordinary act of self-sacrifice. By riding into Jerusalem, Jesus knows full well he is fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy. He deliberately rides the colt of a donkey because even though he doesn't want to put it into words, he wants to proclaim loud and clear that he is the long-awaited savior king and that his new rule is imminent. He also deliberately chooses the feast of Passover to make his entrance, the time when Israel celebrates their freedom from slavery and the time when lives were saved by the blood of a sacrificial lamb shed for them in order that death might pass over. Jesus knew he was coming as the one who would save them from sin and death, as the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He knew that because Isaiah had forewarned him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich. And yet Jesus chooses to walk on. The growing crowd presses in. They're hoping for a return of the glory days, that Rome will be purged and that they will regain their privileged status as God's people. But Jesus knows from Psalm 22 that his glory will not look like that. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. 
for dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircles me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Yet Jesus chooses to ride on. What he feels for us is greater than anything that he feels for himself. Jesus enters Jerusalem knowing full well the enormity of what he will face. Later that week, Luke tells us of his pleas to his father. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. Despite this, Jesus continues his journey and doesn't give up on us. What Jesus feels for you and for me is what keeps him going. To quote Isaiah once again. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. Jesus knows that each step he takes is a deliberately chosen step towards his inevitable betrayal and desertion, towards his beard being torn from his chin, the skin being stripped from his back, towards the nails piercing his hands, and towards his death on the cross. He even knows as he rides in that the very people singing Hosanna would soon be shouting, crucify him, as he stands before Pilate. He knows their mixed motives and, question, and questionable lives, and he knows ours too. And yet he keeps going. He keeps going because he knows our destiny if he does not. And like the corporal who looks at his colleagues and cannot endure the thought of them suffering, he knows his body alone can save us, so he sacrifices himself. The people surrounding Jesus are looking for a military messiah to overthrow the Romans and restore their independence. When this doesn't happen, they are bitterly disappointed and then angry, for they feel they've been duped into believing he's more than he is. That is why their hosannas so quickly turned to crucify him. But they were not duped. Jesus is their long-awaited savior and king. It's just that his kingship and his kingdom are very different from those they are looking for. The crown he comes to collect is a crown of thorns and his thro throne is the cross. Where the crowd believe that their most pressing need is freedom from Rome, Jesus knows their greatest need is freedom from sin and death. Where they believe their reward, the reward their savior will bring is peace and prosperity on earth, Jesus knows of a greater blessing that awaits them. Eternal life 
with their loving Heavenly Father. And Jesus knows that this blessing can only be won on the cross. The crowds will soon believe that Jesus has failed them, that this story of freedom ends as he is nailed to the cross. What they don't understand is that as the nails pierce his flesh, their prayers are being answered. The crowd believed that Jesus was riding into town to start a revolution, and they were right. As a direct result of his triumphal entry, Jesus revolutionized life for anybody who puts their faith in him. And every time I look at this passage, at every time I look at this self-sacrifice, I am reminded of our Savior's unfathomable love for us and the price that he was willing to pay that we might have eternal life. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And I wonder if we were at the side of that road in first century Jerusalem and we knew what we knew now, what would you say to him? What would you say to the one who walks in because he loves you so much and say what you would like to say to Jesus? It may simply be, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It doesn't have to be something beautiful and poetic. It's whatever you want to say to say thank you.